are listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Church, I would like to invite you to keep your Bibles open um, as I preach through this um, to make sure that the words that I'm saying um, align with what the scriptures say, uh, because that's our, our goal here. That's the aim here. So most of the time when we come to the Bible, uh, it can be a bit confusing. Certain parts of the Bible um, have beautifully composed songs and poetry. Other sections have tragedy with the death of the innocent or a triumph where the hero stands for uh, justice and truth. But then there are some parts where we encounter images of beasts with the body of a lion, uh, with the wings of an eagle, the head of an ox, or we find Jesus on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. Some of it makes sense, um, but if we're honest with ourselves, um, some of it is just strange. It's weird. So what are we to make of all this? Well, if we were to read the Bible merely in their broken down sections, disconnected from one another, it would be confusing. But what we want to do in this series during Advent is show that the Bible, even with its parts that might not make a lot of sense to us now, is one unified story. And it's through this one unified story that uh, not only do these seemingly disconnected parts of Scripture um, become connected, but it's also where our own story Again, if we're honest with ourselves, often filled with discontinuity and, and confusion, it's where our story becomes connected to this story. It's because the Bible's story is God's story, and it all points to one person and Jesus, and his story is our story. So what we're going to do over the course of the Advent uh, season, um, the two weeks prior to today and today and uh, next week, um, is we're going to unpack the four sections of this narrative, uh, creation, how God created us to be good because he is good. Separation, how living outside of God's goodness separates us from God. Reconciliation, how God planned to reunite and reconcile himself to us. And completion, how God will, make, uh, will one day make all things new. It's our hope and prayer throughout this series for you to see not how God fits into your story, but rather how we fit into his story and his plan to redeem us through the person and work of Jesus. We all long to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, and God's narrative is our invitation into that reality. So two weeks ago, Pastor Andrew showed us, uh, he was talking through creation, he showed us that God is the creator and we are not. Last week, Pastor Luke taught that where sin runs deep, God's grace runs deeper. Now, while we have been separated from God by our own sin, Jesus and his grace is more than sufficient. And that leads us to today. Today, we're going to talk through and we're going to look at reconciliation and connect the dots over from the past two weeks. God created us and called us good. Our sin separated us from that good God. But Jesus, the perfect God-man, 
who left riches beyond our wildest imagination in heaven to come to earth to walk the road that we must walk, Jesus and his sacrifice was a part of God's story and our story. He created us, he created a path for reconciliation between us and God. So today we're going to look at how God is the great reconciler. And now because of this, we must be ambassadors of reconciliation. All right, ready to dive in? So we're going to work a bit backwards here today. We're going to start with verse 21, and then we're going to move back into verse 20. Uh, So our first point of two points today, God is the great reconciler. So one of the first things that we must do is understand what real, true, biblical reconciliation is. We know this word reconciliation or reconcile, we hear it often. The dictionary defines reconciliation as the restoration of friendly relations. Uh, Recently in the news, if you follow the news, we're hearing about a government reconciliation bill, a way to pass certain types of fiscal legislation with a majority vote. Uh, But what is God doing through Jesus as we read here in 2 Corinthians 5? Verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what is biblical reconciliation? What does God seek to do through Jesus and his death? What is reconciliation to God? So a a quick story. A few years ago, um, my mother received a Christmas gift. Um, She she got one of those DNA genetics tests, um, you know, the 21andMe or Ancestry.com test. This intrigued my mom greatly because for years she was, uh, she had suspicion, she had a a concern that her father wasn't her real father. she, my, my mom, you know, she, uh, she was obviously in a relationship with her father for years and years and years until he passed away. Um, and she just had that suspicion. And she, she wanted to take this test at the same time she didn't. She didn't want to know the truth. But she took the test anyway. Um, and her suspicions were confirmed. Um, her dad, her father, who raised her, who loved her, who provided for her, who protected her, uh, wasn't her her real father. <clears throat> my grandpa, or my pa, as I called him, he wasn't connected to us. He wasn't biologically linked to us. But out of that heartbreak, something beautiful and unexpected happened. My mom's biological father, who had passed away long before that DNA test was taken, um, he had a family. That wasn't something that my mom or I ever considered, that there was another part to that story. And my mom has met that new family. She met an aunt. She met uh, a niece and cousins. And she has a real, beautiful relationship with that family now. We went into that situation. My mom went into that situation expecting nothing but heartbreak and anguish. But out of this, she reconciled with her family. She reconciled with a foreign, an alien, a cut-off people, a cut-off family members. Church, this is a small, small example of what reconciliation is and can be. This isn't a story of the whole of reconciliation to God, but a small snippet. Reconciliation to God is restoration and redemption through the person and work of Jesus As we see here in Colossians 1, it says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Church, Jesus passed a test that we fail, that we failed and we continue to fail. A test that, um, that, yes, we continue to fail, that we have denied our lineage, our family ties with our creator. But Jesus, Jesus came to earth and identified himself with us, an alien, strange, cut off people, and reconciled us to God by his body of flesh, by his death. As we heard last week, When sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, there was a divide, a chasm between us and God. Church, Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection has filled that chasm. His birth, life, death, and resurrection has deleted that void. We, by our sin, were a foreign, cut-off people. But through Jesus, our relationship to God has been restored. Our union with God has been purchased back. Do you believe this, church? True biblical reconciliation is a difficult concept to grasp, right? Goodness, to be frank, I have a hard time comprehending reconciliation with our Father. Martin Luther explained it in a way um, in his great or wonderful exchange. I want to read a a snippet of that here. Uh, Luther said, That is the mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners, whereby by a wonderful exchange our sins are no longer ours but Christ's, and the righteousness of Christ, not Christ's, but ours. He has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. He has taken our evil deeds upon himself that he might deliver us from them. In the same manner as he grieved and suffered in our sins and was confounded, in the same manner we rejoice and glory in his righteousness. Church, how amazing is this? Jesus substituted himself into our place, and in turn, we are put into his place. We sin. It is placed on Jesus on the cross. Pastor Luke said last week that the sin that separates us from God, that curse was placed on Jesus. He was robed in our sin and our shame. Then another separation occurred. God turned his face away so that there could be reconciliation between us and him. When Jesus took on our sin, when he was robed with our sin, we were robed with his righteousness. It is absolutely mind-boggling that we have this gift. And why do we have this gift? Was it done on our merit? No. It was done solely on the merit of the perfect life of Jesus. What an amazing grace this is, church. And this is and has always been a part of God's character. We see numerous accounts throughout the Bible of God restoring and reconciling himself to his people. We see this in Exodus with how God worked through Moses to restore a relationship or a covenant with Israel. And that's just one of many examples of God's character showing this desire to reconcile with his people. And friends, what a good news it is that this isn't on our shoulders. It was was because of us that we were separated from God. But God being our great reconciler, our salvation, our recreation, that burden was completely on the shoulders of Jesus. Hear that, church. This This has nothing to do with us. It's all on Jesus. 
So then what are we to do with this? Are we to simply reap the benefits of this miraculous, this cosmic reconciliation? Yes, in a sense, that is one, that's, that's one piece. But is there more? I think so. Uh, when we read the first five chapters of 2 Corinthians, we see a theme playing out. Paul, who was disconnected from the church at Corinth, was seeking or urging the church to reconcile with him. But not just that, he was reminding them to be reconciled to God first, and then to reconcile with him and to each other, and to be ambassadors of Jesus. And that leads us to our next point. We too, because of the incredible work of Jesus, because of God's plan, we are also to be ambassadors of reconciliation. So I'm going to start this point out with a question to you, church. If we are to be ambassadors of reconciliation, what does that mean for us? Can we provide the same effort that God did through Jesus to reconcile our relationship with him? No. We don't have that ability. We don't own that authority. But let's go back a few verses in 2 Corinthians and see what Paul is saying about us in regards to being reconcilers and being ambassadors. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we see here God reconciling the world, reconciling creation to himself through Christ. What was the means? Jesus' death and resurrection. And what does that do for us? It means that God, through Christ, does not count people's sins against them. We see here from last week, Pastor Luke said this, we are now back in relationship with God because when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees the sinless one, Jesus. Now we get to enjoy life with our creator again. We get to enjoy relationship with one another again as God created them to be because we have the spirit of the living God reorienting our desires and affections from self back to God. And because of this, he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. So what is the ministry of reconciliation? What does it mean to be an ambassador of reconciliation? First, again, I think it's important for us to know what an ambassador is. Why did Paul use this language here with the Church of Corinth? What is an ambassador? Generally speaking, an ambassador is a citizen of one place living in another place, right? So if you, if you know me, you know that I love many things. Uh, I love my family. I love my wife, Celia. I love my kids. I love wrestling. I love Skyline Chili. Leave uh, And I love football. Now, um, some might say that I don't love football the way that people here in Pittsburgh love football. And to them, I would say, you are correct. I do not. See, I uh, could say that I am an ambassador of the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay. So I was born and raised in Cincinnati, and I, I love the Bengals. Um, I, I grew up with a, a ticket-holding 
uh, season ticket holding dad who loved the Bengals, and he passed that heartbreaking, painful love of the Bengals down to me. But here I am in Pittsburgh, PA, in Steelers country, living as a Bengals fan. So what can we take away from this simple example of being an ambassador? That we, followers of Christ, those who have been reconciled to God through Jesus, are a people with citizenship in heaven, living in a foreign land. As Christ followers, as ambassadors of Christ and reconciliation, we are uh, approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. We see that here in 1 Thessalonians. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. And what is our mission as ambassadors of reconciliation? I believe it's twofold. I believe scripture tells us that it is our job, it's our mission to preach the gospel to all people. To ourselves, yes, we need that. To our families, yes. To our friends, yes. To our coworkers, our neighbors, yes, yes, we must. We see here in Mark, Jesus says, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The gospel of Jesus reconciles us to the Father. The good news of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection is our gospel to share with a world that needs healing, a world that needs love, a world that needs a savior. The second half of this is that we also must be ambassadors of reconciliation within our church. We are meant to be a people created in the image of God, responding to people's sin and confession in the same way that the Lord responds to us, with love, with patience, with gentleness. How do you do this, church? How do you respond to those who are sitting next to you right now when they confess their sin to you? How do you respond to those um, in your community groups as they're struggling through their sin? How do you respond to your wife or your husband, to your neighbor, your coworker, your parents, your kids? Do we judge? Do we, a sigh, do we have a sigh of relief that their sin is greater than ours? I'm guilty of that. How we respond shows what we are truly ambassadors for, doesn't it? If we respond with anger, with judging, with contempt, are we truly ambassadors of reconciliation? Or are we, are we being ambassadors of self? Thank the Lord that the Lord does not respond to us in this way. <clears throat> Although he's fully in his right to respond to us like that, because of Christ's sacrifice, he doesn't see us that way any longer. He sees the righteousness of Christ that we have been robed in. Amen. Friends, we are ambassadors for Christ and his reconciling work. We are. It says in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5. It doesn't say that we're almost ambassadors of Christ and his reconciliation. 
It doesn't give us a roadmap to what we must do to become ambassadors of reconciliation. No, it says we are ambassadors of reconciliation. But I do want to point out um, that 2 Corinthians 5 doesn't say that we are ambassadors of Renaissance Church. It doesn't say that we're ambassadors of a theological position, of a political party, of a social movement. But what does it say? It says we're ambassadors of Christ and his reconciliation. Church, uh, a a couple more questions. If you were to ask your spouse, what am I an ambassador for? Um, what would they say? If you were to ask your coworkers or your kids, your neighbors, what would they say? If you were to ask God, what, a, what am I an ambassador of? What would he say? If you believe that God would say anything other than, that is my son, or that is my daughter, with who I am well pleased, who is an ambassador of King Jesus, then you are missing the reconciling work of Christ Jesus in your life. If you do not believe that this is what God is saying about you, then you are missing the point of Christ's death in order to reconcile us to the Father. Church, Jesus paid the ultimate price to reconcile us in his body of flesh by his death. And because of this, our sin has been removed from us and placed on Christ. His righteousness was removed from him and placed on us. Now, we must go and we must tell the world this good news. But church, don't forget, this weight is off of our shoulders. It is Jesus who changes the world. We must implore them on behalf of Christ, just as Paul implored the church at Corinth. Is this the message that you're trusting in? Is this the message that you're telling? Remember this, church. Remember that God is the great reconciler. And now we must be ambassadors of reconciliation.